Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we talk to the change agents trying to make Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world a more vibrant and inclusive place. I'm your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And today, our guest is Greg Robinson II, who by day is the director of family and community ownership for Medcares, and by night, and also by day, is running to be the next mayor of Tulsa. We talked to Greg about why average isn't good enough anymore, how helping all communities in Tulsa can make it a more attractive place, and why him, why now, for mayor of Tulsa. Enjoy. We are very excited to have Greg Robinson II on the podcast today. Greg Robinson is, in the daytime, the Director of Family and Community Ownership for MetCares, and also during the daytime and the nighttime and all the other times, is a candidate for the mayor of Tulsa. Greg, welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you all for having me. Glad to be here. I've I've been watching some of your your videos, like your your announcement video, your speech at the Juneteenth rally, which by the way, the Juneteenth rally campaign video, quite nice, like very inspiring. It's got like the good inspiring music. Let's give some people your history in politics, because as we're going to get to later you weren't specifically looking to run for mayor yourself. That's just what ended up happening. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually am more of an organizer, meaning that I work for political candidates most of the time. When I was 22, took a job working for Barack Obama's reelection team where I left the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff in the last semester of my senior year, probably not advisable uh, to everyone, but I took a shot was in North Carolina in three days, knocking on doors for Barack Obama. After I went back to school, that's the key there, and graduated, then I started a history of campaigns, worked in Tulsa for Kathy Taylor's reelect campaign, lost, worked in Dallas for a state rep campaign, lost, worked in North Carolina for a Senate race, lost that too. And then worked for Secretary Clinton in 2016. And yes, you guessed it. So after that, uh, Jesse and Chris, I decided, you know what, Uh, maybe I should go back home to Tulsa uh, and get out of campaign for a bit uh, and start working in the community. So that's that's how I got to Medicare's foundation. You mentioned that you didn't want this to be you. You you weren't a politician. You were someone who likes to organize and to help. So what changed over the past two to three months that made you decide, I have to do this? Well, we spent at MetCare's four years, really, working in what we thought was collaboration and partnership with the mayor and his team. And while I think that his team is quite fabulous, I feel that the mayor sold myself and our community a bill of goods a lot of times. He's continuously said the right things, but when it comes down to making the decisions, he's consistently chosen political expediency over the people that he said he was there to serve. And so for me, that all came to a head a few months ago when we took to the streets uh, Tolsons from all sides of the city to demand better, to demand more. We pushed the mayor to negotiate with us. We thought that we were negotiating in good faith on four common sense demands to improve the safety of all Tolsons. He gave us 
the go ahead. He he said yes to those demands. And then two days later, it goes on national TV and says that racial bias uh, doesn't exist in the Tulsa Police Department and that Terrence Crutcher Jr., for instance, his death was due to his inability to deal with drug addiction, not because of the the very clear implicit bias uh, that that Officer Betty Shelby had before uh, shooting and killing him. That showed me that this mayor, uh, although he talks uh, the right stuff, uh, didn't really have what it took uh, to lead our city in the right way. And for me, uh, understanding that it was the eve of the race massacre anniversary, understanding that we've never had in the city of Tulsa anyone seriously contend that wasn't white, that uh, it was time to give Tolsons uh, a different sort of choice. And and that's what I am. So I think that in the months following uh, that decision, Mayor Bynum has shown himself even more in that way. I was not a mind reader. I didn't see the future, but it's certainly his reactions and inability to stand up to Donald Trump and protect Tolkien's, I think are very emblematic of what uh, communities who are kind of on the periphery and consistently left out of the status quo and the the conversation have felt uh, for the past four years. So that's why I'm running. Uh, I feel that I, I had no choice at this point. I know some people have come out in, we'll say defending uh, Mayor Bynum saying that some of this was maybe outside of his hands or he's tried to do things to, we'll say, make things better for all Tulsans, but because of pushback, he hasn't been as successful as he has wanted. So how would you kind of balance accomplishing your goals and sticking to sort of your morals and beliefs with, I guess, what you might call playing the political game to try to get things accomplished? I don't believe in playing politics when it endangers the safety of Tolkien's. I don't care what the personal cost is. That's a lesson that I learned from my father and my mother. I believe that you have to leverage the office of the mayor and your relationships with city council and your relationships with community to build consensus. It was Dr. King himself that said, the measure of a leader is can he mold consensus, not can he search out consensus. And to me, uh, that's the difference between myself and Mayor Bynum. Mayor Bynum is okay with just searching for consensus. And that's why one day you'll hear something and you'll be excited about it. And the next day when he goes to a different crowd, you'll hear something else because he's searching for whatever it is that's going to get him politically to the next day. Nothing wrong with that unless you're actually trying to do things for people. And that's where I am. So in my work, I worked with the city as well. Everyone at the city does not agree with me. All the city councilors don't agree with with my views. But when you're able to sit down, um, understand where people's shared interests and self-interests are, what they're trying to get across, and then communicate what you're trying to get across, and put the effort into actually finding a solution, when people know where you are, it's a lot easier to work with them, whether you all agree or not. And to me, uh, we've seen countless times where Mayor Bynum, because of the fraternal order of police or because of the Republican Party, 
he's softened on stances that he honestly had the majority of Tulsans behind him. Again, I'm not someone who is running because I disliked Mayor Bynum or dislike him as a person. I'm someone who is running because I felt betrayed by his inaction. And so this is not a personal election. This is about the fact that we can do something better in the city of Tulsa as long as we have a, a leader that's willing to stand with people um, instead of politics. I, I'm pushing back on that uh, political statement because I think for too long we've allowed political ambitions to cloud proper decision making. And to me, that's why there's so many people who are disengaged with the political process overall. And quite frankly, why you get someone like Donald Trump in office, because people literally say to themselves, well, at least I know where he's at. Even if I don't like him, at least I know where he's at. I mean, that's where we've gotten to. So for me, I think we owe it to Tolson's to say, hey, forget political party. This is what I stand for. If you agree with these things, vote for me. If you don't, don't vote for me. But at least you'll know where I am, right? And I don't, I don't know where Mayor Bynum is right now. Up until recently, G.T. Bynum had the support of very sort of progressive, social justice type oriented organizations and people. What is your response to people's concern that they want to vote for you, but they're worried about splitting the sort of progressive numbers-driven vote that leads to neither you nor GT Bynum getting elected. The Ralph Nader problem, which I know is before your voting time, because you were much younger than Chris and I, but <laughs> like, what would you say to those people? Well, here's what I'd say. We have a general primary that's coming up on August 25th. The two candidates who get the most votes are going to go to the November election if someone does not get over 50 I think that the way that this is set up, quite frankly, being one that there is no Democratic primary, Republican primary, it's just a general primary, that people should vote for the person that they feel represents their values and represents the direction that they want to see the city go in the most. Sometimes, again, we play this mathematical game. If you're willing, quite frankly, to uh, not support someone at this point because of because of a fear of, of splitting some sort of vote, quite frankly, you're not in the place um, of the voters that I'm actually talking to and fighting for. And the reason I say that is because there are people in West Tulsa right now with two and a half times fewer job opportunities than folks who live in Midtown. There are African-Americans whose families have almost half of the income of the average white family. Native Americans are three and a half times as likely to be denied loans than white Tulsans. Right now, if you go across the river to the west or to the or the highway 244 to the north, the air becomes more toxic. It becomes harder to find housing, harder to find sidewalks, harder to find fresh food harder to find uh, jobs and, and transportation. Uh, and then when you look at the life expectancy gap, still an average of 8.4 years between all South Tulsa zip codes and North Tulsa zip codes. What I'm saying is that this is not an election that has no urgency to it. We have been suffering here in Tulsa. We've just couched it in a, in a, in a beautiful package. But 
for as long as I can remember, people who are kind of outside of that bubble in Tulsa have been struggling. And, and that's really what this campaign is about. It's to say that until we all have upward mobility, until we all feel safe, until we all uh, have opportunity, we're not going to be the city that we say we want to be. So I say this to folks who are wondering about who they want to vote for. I think I'm very clear about who I am and what I stand for. I don't, I think I'd say vote, vote for it or not from that perspective. I don't think you're going to get the same thing in Mayor Bynum as you're getting with me. I don't think any candidate, particularly right now, is going to give you what I'm giving you. Whether you like that or not is totally your choice. I'm not going to try and convince you. I know one of the things that when Bynum was originally elected, two of the big things going for him was one, the team he had put together, and two, his relationship with the city council. And and that's shown he had a great ability to accomplish what I'll say are some of the less controversial issues that he championed. He was very successful with that. What is, what's your relationship lo- like with the city council and how can you use that relationship to accomplish your goals? Absolutely. So I'll say this, I've been able and privileged to work with all of the council members, some who've now rolled off and have now worked with the new council members as well on several different projects, whether it's housing, whether it's the healthy uh, neighborhoods overlay, whether it's the criminal justice um, issues and and the equality indicators and, and working with them on what the city can do better. And again, we don't agree on everything, uh, but I think if you ask them, they would say, hey, Greg Robinson is extremely consistent. He always comes speaking, not for himself, but for a community. And we're always collaborative and transparent with what we're trying to accomplish. We also have approached the council in a data-oriented way where Uh, We're not trying to present our opinions as much as the qualitative and quantitative data that we're surfacing on behalf of these different areas of the community. And to me, that those are skills that you need as a mayor. The other thing I would say is when you talk about the mayor's team, I am just as close to the people in the mayor's office as the mayor is. Ashley Phillipson, director of well, assistant director of community development is a very dear friend and someone who we wanted to go to the mayor's office. She was the executive director of MetCare's Foundation, where uh, I worked at. Uh, wonderful relationship with, with Becky Glico and Nick Doctor and Cayenne Camus. All of these folks are, are incredible Tolsons and are, and are doing incredible work. And I have worked with them in my capacity at MetCare's uh, to advance uh, many of the things within and the resilient strategy and the the inequities that the data points out. And so again, uh, you're not getting someone in my candidacy who is foreign to uh, the city of Tulsa, foreign to the city government, or foreign to the good work that has gone on in the city. What you're getting in me is someone who, because I've been so close, I've seen how close we truly are to taking the next level, going to the next level as a city, And it is my estimation that it is a leader that is willing, again, to to finish it off, regardless of the political or personal cost to to get us to that that place. So the parallel can feel very small, but that is the mayor's job, right? 
after you hire a staff and they put the proposals in front of you, the, after the community is supporting, after the council is on board, it's your job to cross the finish line. And if every time a uh, public interest group stands up and, and threatens you, you're going to back down, you're just, you're, you're, you don't have the chops uh, for that position. And look, I can't, Maybe you all will have Mayor Bynum on the podcast and ask him why he's made those decisions. I don't know, but I'm telling you, I was a supporter. I was a community advocate and a worker in good faith. And I have felt betrayed by the decisions that he has made and has not made. I mean, it does seem from the outside looking in that Mayor Bynum had done more I, to move the needle on equity issues for Tulsa than seemingly most of the previous mayors had done. I mean, was that more just cosmetic? Was was there not real movement in equity? Or is it just that that now when the rubber meets the road, the changes aren't really being made? Less than a third of African-Americans feel safe with the Tulsa Police Department. You've seen the equality indicators reports now come out for two years. Mayor Bynum says the right things, but quite frankly, the bar in the city of Tulsa for equity wasn't that high to begin with. And quite frankly, we've gotten so used to average being good enough, just moving the bar forward just a little bit. And in this moment in the country, what you're seeing is that that can't be enough anymore, right? We should not have to, people should not have to beg to feel uh, human in their own cities. The Latinx community, the immigrant community should not have to beg to feel safe walking out of their homes, trying to go to work in a city where we know that the contractors that are giving them the jobs very well know their immigration status, right? So let's not play as if we are not benefiting from the immigrant community while we're trying to lock them up and deport them without protections. When you think about the the issues with the the longstanding issues with poor communities in this city, whether they're northeast uh, Tulsa or whether they're West Tulsa, these communities have been left to languish where drugs and and, and absence of economic development has continued to kind of pulverize any growth that, that wants to develop out of there. And instead, we focused on what we're doing well in the kind of honey pots, right? The, the midtowns, the downtowns. And as long as a mayor is doing that, everyone ignores what they're not doing. Mayor Bynum is no different in that. And so all I'm saying is that, sure, is Mayor Bynum doing what all the other mayors have done and maybe putting a sweeter spin on it? Yes. But that we weren't we there was a whole portion of Tulsa that wasn't hasn't been happy for a hundred years. Right. And so, no, he's not doing enough. I'm sorry, because. He's doing the same things that everyone else was doing before. Now, again, there's a portion of Tulsans who that is comfortable to. That's what they're used to. I get it. Right. But there is a large percentage of Tulsans 
who are being left out. And the and so then the question becomes, well, why does that matter to those who have felt good? We actually don't realize what we're missing out on by not being as inclusive a city and welcoming a city as we could be. If we had an inclusive economic development strategy, we could compete with the Houston's, with the Dallas's, with the Bentonville's, with the Fayetteville's. We have people who could come to Tulsa, right, and stay and build their lives and build businesses. But because we're still in sort of a, a, a time warped backward space. Why would I, when I can go to these cities that have more cultural diversity, have more economic diversity, and I feel like I have a better chance to make it? Why wouldn't I move to Owasso or Broken Arrow when I know I can just go to church in Tulsa, but I don't have to live there, right? Because communities outside of downtown or outside of Midtown they don't have the sort of economic and housing investment right in them. And so what I'm saying is when a city is built on sales tax dollars, when we know that's what drives us, we have to actually be focused on creating multiple pockets of economic development and healthy housing so that wherever you live in the city, you feel as if you're connected and you feel as if you can stay right there. That sort of economic growth, that sort of prosperity for everyone ultimately creates a, a more prosperous city. And then all of us enjoy the benefits of that. And so, again, this is not about taking from anyone. This is about saying when we add to others around us, we're all going to experience the benefits of that. And I have just been I've been waiting on a leader to say, this is the approach we want to take. I thought that Mayor Bynum was going to do that. He signaled those things, but he hasn't delivered on them. You, you ended up at answering the question I was going to ask, which was pretend Chris and I are two Midtown Republicans. What would you say to us? Uh, it, it, it's that. So, right? <laughs> like a uh, rising tide lifts all boats sort of situation, Absolutely. which again, that makes sense to me. And then even though you did answer my question, I'm going to ask it yeah. a little bit differently, which is that how would you talk to people who have been doing fine under, let's say any Tulsa mayor up until now, right? But people who might feel like who, even no, no matter what you say, might be concerned that a program you, that you're going to do is going to take some sort of tax money, city money away from their neighborhood to spend in West Tulsa and North Tulsa. Uh, I'd actually say this. I think that Tulsans are our greatest resource. And I would ask them, do they really know how our money is being spent? Because I certainly uh, didn't until I started taking a deep dive into the budget. I would say to them, hey, one of the things that I want to do is create a participatory element of our budgeting process, just like we do in our vision packages. So that we, the, the city of Tulsa, the departments that we're made up of, have to come out to you all on every side of the city and say, look, Here's a pot of money that we can decide how we want to spend it. That way they have ownership and investment in where their sales tax dollars within the city of Tulsa are going. The other thing I would say to them is the city of Tulsa, again, is built on sales tax, not property tax. So it actually doesn't matter how wealthy 
you are in terms of the, the, the place that you live. If you are spending money in the city of Tulsa, living in the city of Tulsa, you have just as much right to see the diversity of tax dollars as anyone else does. And that's why it's such a good strategy to get development in every corner so that people don't have to travel so far to benefit the city of Tulsa, right? It's literally a math problem um, from my perspective. And, and, and then the, the, the last thing is that I think sometimes we assume uh, unfairly that people don't want to see other people uh, succeed. I think that because we play politics so much, that it, it it becomes kind of a tagline and a tag phrase. But one of the things that I get excited about is when I have conversations like the ones I'm having with you all, I don't know what you thought of me before this interview, but I don't think that the things I'm saying are coming off to you very radical or scary um, at all. And I think that's the same thing that happens when we have conversations with Tulsans in general. I, yes, grew up in North Tulsa, but I went to school at Eisenhower International. I'm fluent in Spanish. I went to Monte Cassino Middle School, a very affluent community. And then I graduated from Booker T. Washington High School. I have been and engaged and have friends and, and really family from every corner, every socioeconomic uh, boundary within this city. The, the messages that I'm coming from is a space of of how do we improve Tulsa for all of us? Because I feel as if I have a little bit of every part of Tulsa that that uh, inside of me. And so I think, again, what I'm excited about in this election is to say that we've just been so used to only seeing things one way. We don't have to be threatened by another way of thinking. And so I just want to engage with Midtown Republicans or or conservatives and and say that, hey, I think actually we are more alike than we are different. Let's engage in a conversation. Let me understand what is important to you all as Tulsans. What do you value? And then let me give you a perspective of what Tulsans that maybe you don't experience quite as much of they value. And can we come to collaborative spaces? Can we come to agreements on on where we want to go as a city? The last thing I'll say is, while, while I have values, while I have vision, I'm not an immovable object, right? I'm not someone who says, this is the way that I think it needs to go, and this is the way it has to go. I want us to succeed as a whole. And if communities, organizations, groups have ideas and best practices on how we can have inclusive growth, then I welcome those to the table. So yeah, I want to talk to everybody. Uh, and and I think what that does is it, it kind of breaks down the barriers that have kept us apart for so long. I think Chris is a better judge of whether what you said seems radical person than, than me as someone who's raised by two super liberal New York Jews in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. So <laughs> But so you talked about your sort of series of campaigns that you worked on where you lost. I'm going to make an assumption that the Hillary Clinton one was the most depressing of those losses. But what did you take away from those losses? Well, the thing I love about organizing is the result of the campaign was a loss. But organizing is actually all about building power within the communities in which you are. 
And so while the campaign result was a loss, actually the the benefit to me was, for instance, being in in in, in Dallas when I was in the 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 arts district there, which is known as kind of Oak Cliff. Uh, I was able to engage with uh, the Latinx community and get them politically involved. They were trying to elect their first Latinx representative in North Texas at that time, if you can believe that. Um, And so just getting them engaged and kind of teaching them the organizing skills was incredibly empowering. Uh, When I started my campaigning, the story I tell often is I was knocking on doors and I was knocking in kind of a single mother's home uh, sort of neighborhood. And a young man answered the door and I gave him my spiel. And he, after I finished, he said to me, hey, I was broke before Barack got elected and I'm broke now. You can get the hell off my porch. And it was incredibly heartbreaking to me, right? Because I had on the suit and I was coming from from the university and I was working for the first black president and I'm a young black man and I'm changing the world, right? And he brought me right back down to earth and said, remember where you came from. This community is just like that. The lesson that I took from that is, wow, people really don't believe government works for them. And it is our job to teach them that they actually have a voice and they have a responsibility to demand that it does. Right. And so the win that I got out of that campaign was not just Barack winning, but that that city that I worked in elected their first black female mayor. And they also passed an ordinance that pushed the bus, kept the bus routes going past uh, 6 p.m. Can you imagine? Right. Exactly. Can you imagine not having buses that run after 6 p.m.? But it was the sort of city where there were the haves and the have not. In in Florida, when I worked for the Hillary uh, Clinton campaign, again, I traveled from Iowa to Alabama to Missouri and then to Florida, working, organizing uh, in communities uh, that have been long forgotten, just giving them the inspiration, giving them the hope, giving them the tools to say, regardless of whether we win or not, you all now have the tools to impact your community. That's really what I um, took away. And, And so when I came back to Tulsa, that's the work that we've done. The reason that there were thousands of people protesting in the streets Uh, of Brookside in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Um, Going as far as to shut down an interstate for half an hour was not just because we woke up one day and, and decided that's what we wanted to do. It's because we organized and built power amongst people and said, hey, we can do something about the issues that we're facing. And to me, that's why this campaign of mine, uh, it may seem ludicrous to some, but to me and to folks who have been working in this space, it feels like a very natural progression because it is saying that, hey, we've been in City Hall now. We've created, we've researched, we've, we know what solutions are to the issues. And if we don't have a mayor or leadership that is willing to go the, the extra mile to, to help us get those things done, then we'll do it ourselves because we feel empowered to do that. And so to me, even if you don't agree with me, that's okay. It, I essentially just want to create a Tulsa where there is more civic action, 
more civic responsibility. I think we get better as a city. I don't want to own the city of Tulsa. I don't want it to be a, a monolithic thinking place. I just want more people to be involved in the process. And I think that those lessons are what I took from uh, organizing across the country, even in uh, the losses. It's not about the result. It's about the process for me. And that's what this campaign is about. Are we going to run a campaign of we where we're talking about issues that are affecting Tulsans and have affected them for a long time? Are we going to give Tulsans a choice? Are we going to impact the direction of the city, win or lose, so that we can continue advocating and fighting for a better city, win or lose? Sorry, that was really good. So I know that you've you've referenced that some of those same leaders that you've worked with are mentors to you, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, many of the others you've mentioned. What have you taken from them that can help you both in the campaign and also if you're elected mayor? Absolutely. So I'll just start with Dr. Tiffany Crutcher because you mentioned her. The fact that she took her twin brother's death, again, regardless of, of what you feel about that, her twin brother died. So from her perspective, she lost the twin brother. She took that death and said, I'm going to inspire change. I'm going to take the worst thing that could have happened to me and turn it into something positive for as many other people as I can. The reason that that resonates with me is I have a mother who lost her career as a senior accountant at the Williams companies, right? The lar- if, if, if it's not the largest employer, one time I know it was in the city of Tulsa. She was a senior accountant there. Lost her career because of her bout with multiple sclerosis. My mother can no longer walk. My mother is bedridden. My mother lost her husband. My, I saw my mother basically lose everything. And yet if you, Chris, and you, Jesse, go visit her right now, she's going to look at you kind of funny, turn to the side, ask you why you haven't been working out in the gym and we'll see what she can help you with because that's what she's about. She's not worried about her loss. She's worried about what she can do for other people. Those, that sort of mindset is one that I try to, to emulate and take into my work. One of, I've been saying selfless is really not selfless. It's really selfless. Right. I think it's a wrong thing to say selfless. I'm not selfless. I just try to put myself last in terms of 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 my being a servant. Now, another mentor of mine is Vanessa Hall Harper, who is by any stretches, again, whether you agree with her or not, you have to admire her tenacity. You have to admire the fact that you always know where she stands. The thing that I am shocked by is on the outside, you would say, "Woo, mad black woman. Right protester. If you take five minutes and talk to Vanessa Harper, she's one of the most detail-oriented, critical thinking legislative leaders that we have in our city. And quite frankly, I would say in our state, she is so detail-oriented. She is so in the weeds. She's such a good policy maker and so committed to her, to her constituents. That is something that I've learned from her, her mentor. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm forgetting. Shirley Chisholm is who she takes this from, but that unbought and unbossed model. Again, when you when you listen to me and you're like, why is he so, sounds so aggravated with people who want to play politics? Because when we're bought, we're bossed, right? And so for me, 
I think Mayor Bynum a little bit is is bought and bossed, and I think it's affecting his decisions. So I take that from her is to remain true to your constituents more than your political ambition. Those two people are are folks that I that I genuinely look up to. And then the last one that I want to mention is actually Reverend Ray Owens, who is the executive director of Medcare's Foundation, is also the pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church, and is someone who I have just seen always lead with grace, always lead with patience. And although he has some very strong beliefs, uh, he has an incredible ability to kind of reach across the aisle and 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 communicate with folks who may be from totally different worlds than than he is. And um, I think because of that, he really is able to impact people that he comes across and also impact the entire community of Tulsa for good. That is that is a skill set uh, that I am trying to learn from and develop and grow. The other thing he does incredibly well is he puts people in position that are talented and allows them to do work. And that is also another aspect of my leadership style is that I don't have to have all the answers. I think I said this earlier to you all. I want to find the best people. If they exist in Mayor Bynum's administration right now, let's keep them. If they exist outside, let's go find them. And then let's put them in position to lead our city in the best in the best way. So those are three folks that I've, I've learned from and continue to learn from and just pr- and am just proud to be able to work alongside every day. L- let me ask you, so six, seven-ish weeks ago, Chris and I had uh, Sam Sinyangwe on the podcast a day before George Floyd was killed. And we were talking with him about how hard like how he had to start an organization just to find out how many people were killed by the police on a yearly basis. And one of the things he talked about was no matter how powerful a like mayor or governor is when it comes to issues with the police, they have to deal with apparently the one remaining union that survived the union busting over the past 50 years, which is the, the police union. Yeah. Right. So specifically talking about Tulsa, what as mayor could you do when all you have is sort of PR and your voice, but no actual ability to change the the rules of a organization that controls who you can hire, who you can fire, what the rules of engagement are, et cetera. Oh, wow. You have really bought into this propaganda. That is the power (laughs) actually of the Fraternal Order of Police. It is such a propaganda machine that we think that a union and I'm, I'm a total sheep, apparently. All right. Yeah, it's okay. Honestly, it's okay. We have to have self-awareness. No problem, Jesse. Listen, certainly unions protect the folks that they represent. In, and I don't want to sound anti-union at all. I, I'm not. What I am is is anti-corruption. What I am is anti-being against the, the best interest of people. Um, and so I say this, and I mean this, if the Fraternal Order of Police tomorrow uh, begins to reflect the wants and needs of people, and even most of the police in there that they're supposed to be representing, I will 100% support them. Now, the reason that I don't support them is because in my conversations with police officers, I don't actually see what the Fraternal Order of Police espousing, uh, being reflective of what the rank and file uh, police officer actually believes in and and represents. 
When the when the Fraternal Order of Police comes out and says that an Office of the Independent Monitor is going to increase crime, that's propaganda, right? Let, let's explain what an Office of the Independent Monitor is. I'm going to do this on behalf of Mayor Bynum because I, I want to stand with him if he would ever stand up. So an Office of the Independent Monitor simply provides an outside office that will sit with internal affairs during investigations and then actively monitor that investigation, providing advice. Hey, why don't we interview these officers? Why don't we interview these witnesses? Hey, here is my recommendation on what the punishment should be. That way, whatever internal affairs and the monitor come up with together while they're proposing this to the chief and the mayor and then sitting with the chief and the mayor to decide the punishment or non-punishment, there's been an outside resource that has had eyes on that. That actually creates uh, a decision that has built in more trust into it. Do you see what I'm saying? So that actually builds trust within the community. That has nothing to do with, with, with increasing crimes. There's a citizen review board component that holds that outside independent monitor accountable so that they are accountable to the citizens not accountable to the police force that they're investigating. It just makes common sense. Yet you see a a fraternal order of police come out and try and spew propaganda, right? So then that makes someone like me who is always on the side of people very frustrated. When I don't see the fraternal order of police come out and be aggressive against officers that are making the majority of their good officers look horrible, and make their jobs harder, I get very confused. When you get it, when you have an officer come out and make racist comments, right? We don't even say that word, but I'm going to say it. Major Yates made racist comments, right? In public. He's a major in the police force. The Fraternal Order of Police should have been the first group to come out and say, this is not reflective of what we stand for. When you don't do that, you aid white supremacy. You give room for systemic racism, right? Major Yates is still on the force. When you see officers come out and aggressively arrest young people in their neighborhood, walking across the street, when Chris and Jesse, I'm going to go back and look at the cameras downtown, but I bet I have spotted you. (laughs) They <laughs> walking and down oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I do it on purpose but sometimes. These are the things that mm-hmm. become anti what we want in terms of creating a police force where they feel uh, upbeat, where they feel good about what they're doing. And when the fraternal order of police doesn't come out against that, when the mayor doesn't come out against that, it, it actually does a disservice to their cause. And so for me, this is why I say that my holistic view of public safety is that it has to be inclusive of of funding for mental health and public health resources, because that is actually a real deterrent to crime. We actually have to put our public servants, like police officers, in a position where they can do their jobs better. So we're not asking them to be mental health counselors. We're not asking them to be immigration officials. We're just asking them to be officers, right? That to me is as pro-police as you get. I am pro-good officers, have always 
being can name you officers that have impacted my life since a young, young man. Officers like Officer Alexander, right, who who've committed to being excellent forever. Officers like Sergeant Harper, who've been excellent forever. The police chief, Wendell Franklin himself, while I was very upset at the process that the mayor undertook, I understand that Wendell Franklin, he grew up in North Tulsa just like I did. He came up in the Tulsa Police Department and became the head of it. That's an incredible accomplishment. I just wish that Mayor Bynum would have trusted him enough to allow for a national search to take place, to allow for an entire community to have a say and to have questions answered by our public officials so that we could then have trust in the department. Again, I am about solving the issue. The issue at hand is trust in the department. You don't build trust by being a propagandist in terms of an organization, a fraternal order of police. You don't build trust in terms of not being transparent in terms of your leadership and in terms of your policies. And so I say all of that to say, this is not about, we're not going to be afraid to stand up for Tulsans. That's why in our negotiations, we said, Mayor Bynum, take them to arbitration. If we lose, then we lose, but take them to arbitration. Take them into collective bargaining. You're the mayor. This is the city of Tulsa. If we have to change the charter, let's change the charter. But why would we be getting pumped by a few people with outsized power in in a police union? We have to. That's what our country is saying right now across the nation. Enough is enough. And so to me, it is a representation of the inability of us to stand up to systemic racism, to stand up to white supremacy and say we are going to walk in a different light. And if you don't want to get on that train, you don't belong in leadership in the city of Tulsa. I'm willing to say that. If you want to fight against that, fine. But I think there are more Tulsans on my side, more elected officials on my side, and that together we want to go in a better direction. I would have been shamed once, Chris. Do you want to ask the next question? <laughs> One of our our future guests that we're working on trying to to schedule is another political candidate who I believe it appears that you're close with, Kojo Asamoah Caesar. Is it fair that you're close with him? Very close. So, so have have you taken anything from his campaign so far? And was there any inspiration for you for why you did finally say there's no one else and it's got to be me? Kojo is a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> this man is a, yeah. is a attorney that that is is humble enough to go and work in a kindergarten classroom. I literally sat in the back closet of a church and watched this man build the foundation of an entire school and then bring it to life. I was just the person who was able to market that vision. So trust me, I know very well this man's capabilities. And so uh, I have taken a lot from him uh, over the years with our work and his leadership style and in his ability. And I have no doubt that he is the sort of leader that Oklahoma needs in Congress. Now, to your question about my really begging, because that's what it was, begging um, my political elders and mentors to run for office. 
All I can say is that I I tried. Uh, I did as much as I could because I truly believed that we needed an option. And quite frankly, if you can tell by my rhetoric today, I'm probably not the best politician in the world. So I am aware enough to know that. I'm aware enough to know that there are probably people who are better at the political thing than I. But at the end of the day, when I had to decide whether to you all's question earlier, was average good enough? My answer had to be no. And it for me is personal on a level, not personal in terms of who Mayor Bynum is, right? I'm not personal in that way. I wish that man and his family all always the most prosperity. But personal for me, knowing that my father walked me around Greenwood and told me what it was that my family has been in in Tulsa, in the state of Oklahoma, uh, nearly before before it was a state, uh, that I have seen what this, uh, seen or heard through stories, what this city could be for Native Americans, for African Americans. And I've seen the incredible injustices that have have ripped us apart as a people. Uh, And uh, for me, On the eve of the 100-year anniversary of the race massacre, the question that I really had to sit with was, what do we want to be true a generation from now? I didn't think that we could pass up this particular moment and not provide a choice, a conversation, and a question to Tulsans. And I'll also say that as I was on the phone with with, with a support, with not a supporter, with the voter today. I hope he's a supporter, but with the voter today, he said, you sound like someone who uh, doesn't know their chances of winning or isn't necessarily as concerned about that. And what I said to him was winning sometimes isn't the reason that you run. It doesn't mean that you don't want to win or you don't believe you can win, but does it have to be the reason that you're running, right? The reason that I'm running is because I think the city is only going to get to where we can get to if the little boys and girls in in North Tulsa, East Tulsa, West Tulsa have as much faith in what they can become as the boys and girls that are coming from more pros- from more prosperous communities and you don't have to say those things to them. At the end of the day, uh, this is about combating a universal hopelessness that people who have been left out of the American dream feel. And until, and, and, and that for me um, is enough of a reason. And if no one was willing to step up and do that, fine, I'll step up and do it that's a worthy enough cause for me to put myself out there. And if you say nothing else about me, just know that because whether I win or lose, literally the next day, I'm going to go right back to doing what I was doing before, which is fighting to make sure that those little boys and girls in the corners of the city that have been left out have as much opportunity as they can because I'm that little boy. That's who I am. And so that's what I owe to them. At the end of the day, that's all this is about to me. I We have a normal question, but in this case, I want to ask a more pop-related politics question. So 
as someone who has been involved in politics, are you a Parks and Rec person, a Veep person, or a West Wing person? <laughs> or none of the above? Yeah, sorry. None of the above. All right. I was in campaigns and everybody talked about the West Wing. I never even watched it and will never watch it for that reason. Parks and Rec, again, no, I, I think it's probably funny, but not my cup of tea. And then if I was going to watch something, it would be Veep. Okay, let me say All right. All right. Let me say that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. I, I actually <laughs> am probably more of a, a house of cards, like the first couple of seasons guy. Yeah, so yeah. Go. the good, the good, the good seasons. There you go. Great. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Last, last question. So let's say some of our listeners get expi- get inspired, and they want to connect. They want to help out. How yeah. can they do that? Gregfortulsa.com. Greg for Tulsa on all of the social media outlets. I think we even have TikTok organizers at this point. Uh, and then Greg for Tulsa volunteers on Facebook, I think has over like a thousand folks and growing. So all of those places, we're very active in communicating with our volunteers, with our supporters, join in the, the movement, the campaign of we. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear how you want to make Tulsa better for, for all of us. Also, well done on making sure that your signs were bigger than Kojo's signs. So, well, you know, your lawn signs. I, I can't win the hype battle with my camera. <laughs> I'm going to do a short man complex and make all the materials larger than, than, than theirs to confuse people. So, thank you so much for joining us today. And hopefully, after, after the runoff, that you. You are still in the running and maybe we can have you on again and we can talk more about how you'll make Tulsa more sort of equitable and vibrant place. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to our conversation with Greg. To find out more about his campaign and how you can get involved, you can go to his website, gregfortelsa.com also there are a multitude of groups on facebook and check them out greg for tulsa greg for tulsa volunteers all of those that's the first time chris shows up in the closing of pot for good it's a momentous occasion (laughs) please remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found and tulsa again for what is i think the fifth time please be safe out there wash your hands get it done and wear a mask.